Hi, everybody. This is Jose Palomino again as your host of Business Growth on Purpose. And our guest today is Lisa Ryan. And Lisa is a specialist on recruiting, engaging talent, especially in manufacturing. Now, that's a little bit of an important topic right now these days. And in talking to Lisa, we're going to find out whether or not this is going to snap back to what it was pre-pandemic or is this the new normal? And what do you do about it? What are some simple things that you, as a leader of your business, can start implementing to make your company more attractive, one, to the people you already have working for you, and two, for the people you need for the future you're building for your company on purpose. So without further ado, let's welcome Lisa to our show. Well, welcome, Lisa, to Business Growth on Purpose. It is great to be here. Well, Lisa, uh, thank you for being here. And, and just for our audience uh, clarity, uh, what do you do and who do you do it for? I am a full-time uh, facilitator, uh, keynote speaker, working primarily with manufacturing. And bl- basically, if the collar's blue, they're my people, teaching them how to keep their top talent from becoming someone else's. Well, I love that. And that's a really great way that kind of puts it to like, ouch, that hurts because every, <laughs> anybody listening to this probably has, has had the, the occasion where they've had a really good person, you know, say, Hey boss, I'm, you know, I'm out. And, and at that point you're, you're kind of, you know, in that tough spot, especially today, um, you know, we're, you know, two years from when the pandemic started, or I guess a little over that now and uh, things changed or it seemed like everything changed. So I guess my first question to you, Lisa, is have things changed that much or did this just surface things that were already happening? I changed that much. Um, There was a lot of things under the surface that employers thought that they could get away with for years because they just figured, hey, if I'm paying enough money, um, you know, I've had these guys here, I've had these workers here for five, 10, 15 years. Uh, I don't really have to focus on the culture. And then when we had two years of a pandemic where a lot of people started working from home or they started, uh, you know, we have our graying of the manufacturing population that never thought they were going to be uh, quit working. And then they had two years of playing with their grandkids and seeing what life outside of work is like. And they started reassessing. Do I want to spend my career the rest of my career at this job? And a lot of people said no, and they went on because with it being an employee-centric market right now, it's much easier that if you are a quality worker, that you could go somewhere else. So your employees may say that they are leaving for more money. Um, In a lot of cases, they're not. They're leaving you. Oh, wow. So it's the the old breakup thing. It's it's not you. It's me. It's actually you. (laughs) It is you. People like to justify it because and money's and money is a big thing. Money is a measurement by which we, you know, measure our success. Mm -hmm. And when you can make 24 bucks an hour working at Target, you know, if you have skilled labor, particularly your hourly rate, your salary rates are going to go up. But even with that, if you don't have the culture right, you're going to lose people. So culture after marketable wage, culture is number one. Right. So now culture, especially in like, let's say traditionally business, you know, owner led manufacturing, Mm -hmm. contract manufacturing and so on. It feels like a squishy word. 
right? So, and, and, you know, we have a nice culture. We're like a family owned business. We take care of our people. We're all like family. It's all, we have picnics once, once a year, we have the 4th of July picnic. So what else do I have to do to make culture work? Uh, is it just a new, the newer generation? It's just really soft and they need, they need a lot of babying. Um, absolutely not. It's not squishy because if you look at the fact that engaged employees have 47% fewer safety accidents, companies with engaged employees have a 20% more profitability. I mean, I can go on and on with the numbers. And it, the thing, the nice thing about it is that it doesn't have to cost boatloads of money. You don't have to go out and hire a consultant to come in and do a huge employee engagement program and spend tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars on this. It can be finding out about your employees. What's your favorite candy bar? How do you like to be recognized? You know, what are, what's your spouse names? What are your kids doing? So we connect with people on this human level that employees feel that they're listened to, that they're a part of the bigger mission. And when it comes to the newer workers coming into the workplace, if you think about the fact that these two generations, millennials and Gen Z, have, been, have had access to leadership since they were children. For example, when I was a kid, my parents would say, hey, this year we're going on vacation to Florida, okay? The last two generations, you know, Johnny, it's your turn to pick where we're going on vacation this year. <laughs> so we think that it's the trophy generation. We think that we need to coddle them. That's not it. That's the way we raised them. And they expect that exact same access to leadership. They expect to be heard. They expect to be listened to without an eye roll of really seeing because these newer generations, especially, are seeing the world differently. And if you are in this whole thing of, you know, we've been doing it this way for 40 years, there's no reason to change. It's going to be really tough to attract new talent. Wow. And I, I love the, it can't be listening with the eye roll. That that, that yeah. was a good visual there. Lisa. <laughs> I really like that. I Actually, as a parent, I have to remember that too, you know. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. This stuff works just as good at home as it does in the in the workplace. So, you know. <laughs> wow. But, but, you know, so, so it's interesting. So two, two questions, right? Is it, is it there's, there are less employees than needed in the workplace generally. You know, there's, less, there's actually less talent available for the number of positions needed. That sounds like one issue. But the other issue, as you get into uh, more in the mid-market, small to mid-market companies, is this idea of what do we have to change? So I'm, I'm hearing you, yeah, I gotta become more sensitive to deal with people respectfully. They've had access to leadership for a longer period of time. So maybe they need to be more inclusive. Candidly, I don't know how to do any of that because I've been running this business pretty successfully for the last 25 years. Right. And, you know, and most people here are pretty happy. So, mm -hmm. but I do need a couple of people. I did lose one or two key people. So what do I do? Because it seems like above my pay grade and I'm the owner. Right. Well, one of the things, first of all, is there is there, I think the numbers now are at about two and a half million manufacturing jobs that are going unfilled by the year 2028. So we don't have the luxury of having 
lots and lots of people to choose from. So one of the best ways, um, not only is automation coming in as a way to make up for the workers that aren't there, um, but it's also a great recruiting tool. So what you as an owner can do is to look around your shop and see the job that people hate the most. What is the biggest grunt work? What is, you know, just a job that's a pain for people to do that we used to look at it back in the day of, oh, paying your dues, you get the crap job. But now figure out what that job is or those jobs are and automate those. Number one, it takes away from the number of people you you need. But number two, it becomes a recruiting tool. Because now you have a younger person coming into your plant and they're like, wow, I get to work around a robot. That's the coolest thing ever. So it, it helps with both. And especially in the last two years, technology automation has become so much easier because we've needed it. It's a lot more intuitive than it ever was before. We can't be afraid of it. And the other thing is, it's probably going to cost you a lot less money than you think it does just to get started. So when you can take away some of those grunts, you know, some of that grunt work and automate that and give your people the opportunity to really do something that's using their skills, that's using their mind, that they're producing quality work, again, you're going to have a more engaged and loyal workforce. Wow. So I I love that approach because I think the intuitive sense is I need to automate my expensive processes. and yeah, but I'm just saying, yeah, people, right. I know. And that's what, again, it's a little counter, right. counterintuitive, but look at the jobs that people hate most. And you can actually ask your employees, do a little survey. You know, what's the one thing that you hate doing more than anything in here? Maybe phrase it a little bit gentler than that. <laughs> but, right, but if we could uh, get, if we could take this off your plate entirely. Exactly. If we could take one, if we could take one of the jobs off your plate, that's a really great way of phrasing it. What would that one job be? Because probably what's going to happen is you're going to see, it's going to be very clear what that first thing is to take a look at automating or, you know, figuring out how to do that one process differently. That's interesting. So I'm just visualizing a shop floor Roomba. Uh, to do. <laughs> 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 you know, I don't know. Maybe people like sweeping. Roomba that brings coffee. That would be that awesome. Brings, that'd be the best thing, right? So, there you go. so that's, that's really interesting. So now let's take a look at you said the grain of the, of of, of uh, the workforce and clearly you know that's inevitable as you know father time is uh, you know comes after everybody right yeah um, but in making these changes you still need those experienced longtime workers until they're ready to retire they're still there right. those that are there are there do do any of these culture shift directions does is, does that run the risk of souring things for your veteran team? No, because the thing is that when you take a look at ways to take advantage of that experience, because a lot of times in manufacturing, you have the more tenured workers saying, well, why should I be friends with these newbies? I mean, they're just going to be gone in six weeks anyway. What if you took that person under your arm? What if you developed a friendship. 
you know, and you look for ways to have like that mentoring mentee relationship, Mm. because a lot of times you have reverse mentoring. The person who is the mentee that comes in can actually teach. And let's just say Gen Z and boomer, Mm. you know, so that boomer has all the knowledge, the experience, they've been there for 20 years. They know the history of the company, this new kid coming in, you know, sees the world differently because that's the way that that person was raised, but you put the two of them together and not only does this Gen Z get to learn, oh, this is how the company founded. Oh, this is why that history behind it. Um, but they can all, then they, they can also come to an understanding. And a lot of it is, you know, bonding over things like music, you know, of, of getting people together who would not naturally gravitate towards each other and having those relationships because now that boomer is feeling more relevant. You know, I remember several years ago when my husband started reporting for the first time in his job um, to two people who were younger than him. And it was really tough. He was feeling irrelevant. And so now it, it's just we realize that, that uh, you know, figuring out ways to, to have those relationships. And the other thing, too, is that we need to start changing the conversation with parents, with guidance counselors in the schools, that manufacturing, that tech, that a career in, um, man, in industry is a great way to make a living, great benefits, you know, um, and a great way to do that because too many times parents will say, oh, well, I want my kids to have a better life than me. So they're going to go to college and they go and get come out, you know, $100,000 in student loan debt with something that they're not going to enjoy. So we change the conversation and make it okay and start making manufacturing sexy again to bring people in. Because when I was in the welding industry, it was everything your mother ever warned about you warned you about. It was dark, dirty, and dangerous. You know, and now I go into yeah, I go into these shops and it's like it's clean, it's bright, it's cool. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people still have the vision of manufacturing that it was 20 years ago, not what it is today. And we need to change that conversation. Well, that, that raises kind of an interesting thing. You, you talk about 2.5 unfilled jobs by mm-hmm. 2028, right? Which is right around the corner. I mean, it's yep. about half a decade away. And, and yet we hear also that so much manufacturing has been outsourced, you know, over the last 20 years. And clearly a lot of certain types of manufacturing, but we still manufacture an awful lot in the U.S., Right, we do. And to the point where there's 2.5 million jobs waiting to be filled. And these are good paying jobs. Exactly. So your point about, you know, uh, the overemphasis on, and college is important for a lot of people, but not important for everybody. Right. And there are people that would be really happier being, you know, being tech, uh, technical school trained or technically minded in manufacturing positions. So I, I agree 100% with you, Lisa, that 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 message has to go out more broadly, um, you know, high school guidance counselors aren't steering students that way. Right. Because the whole industry is based on your SAT, your college applications. It's, it's, that's the model that it's intended to do. Yet this is such an opportunity for a lot of young people that may not do that well. In, they may not be college-minded or, or end up with a degree in, you know, something that they cannot, that they'll end up at Starbucks anyway. So you might as right. well... exactly (laughs) i mean that's okay but you know it's it's uh the dignity in work whatever it is right 
right. and that it's not dark, dirty, and dangerous, uh, and, and by and large, any longer. And that, I think that ties to culture as well. So uh, I guess the question would be this. If somebody listening to this is an owner, operator of a manufacturing uh, place, and he's lost some key hires and so on, um, you say, man, this all sounds good. Yeah, I got to turn, change the narrative, improve the culture, and so on. Is there anything more direct I can do? I need people. I need to find some people. What what would you say to that person? Yeah, well, first of all, to realize that this is not going to be an overnight change. So the long-term commitment, because it's really easy to go to one job fair and not find anybody and give up, um, realize that this is a long-term fix. So things like manufacturing day, the first Friday in October, you know, is there a way that you can have your employees, you know, bring their family to work day? See, you know, and, and I've had so many of my clients do that where you think, well, what are these guys going to be proud of? I mean, they're working on the machine all day. Why would they? But when they bring their family in that they're like, this is what I get to do. And there's a small percentage of kids that are like, that are going to be like, wow, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I want to work here. So doing that, um, partnering, the big thing, huge thing is partner with your local technical schools, your local joint vocational services, community colleges, because when you develop when you contact their workforce development, you can basically have tailor-made students for you. Work with the people there and say, I'm looking for these skills. And then you team up, maybe you go speak there, maybe you do Zoom there, so you start to build relationships with these students. So by the time they graduate with their certificate or whatever it is that they're getting, they know you, they like you, they trust you, and you are going to get basically first dibs on all of those people coming out while the rest of your competition is waiting for them to actually get their certificate and then start going out onto the job market. So start as early as you can, build those relationships. They are There are some wonderful institutions out there um, that again, when you sit down with their workforce development departments and, and put together plans of this is the curriculum that I would like to have students for my particular job. Job. Um, you know, job shadowing, internships, apprenticeships is a huge thing where they're getting college credits and working for you. Now it's kind of you're almost in this try before you buy, where you can see them because you every person probably listening to the show has had that person come in and they and they have this one idea in their mind of what they're going to be doing in the plant, and then they see what it's really like and they quit by lunch. So we can find, you know, who is the ideal fit from a personality standpoint, who has that burning desire to work in there, who has the passion, the excitement, all of those kind of things, because you can train for skills, but you start to look for people who are a good fit for your company and your culture. Well, that that also means a certain amount of self-awareness of what you want your culture to be. Yep. And I think all too often uh, companies haven't given that as much proactive thought again, because it's soft, squishy, whatever right. they think. Right. So, right. so a little contemplation there, like, just what's your legacy? What do you want people to think when they, I worked 10 years at Acme Sprockets and you own Acme Sprockets. What would you like people to say about their time with you? They treated me like an animal or they treated me like really like part of the family. And it, and that statement, I've heard it a lot from owners. And then when I've done deep dive, like 
uh, interviews with staff, I find not so much, you know, right. like, like oftentimes owners have an inflated view. And why is that? Because of course, everybody smiles when the owner comes in through the door. And of mm-hmm. course, everybody says, oh yeah, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm happy here. Because who says I'm miserable, I'm about to quit on you. No <laughs> one's going to say that. Rarely. I mean, unless they're really, right. uh, you know, worked up about it. So it's interesting to see just how how much of this is intentionality. I love what you said about the trade shows. I mean, I was even thinking like uh, the trade schools, even offering your plant as a, do you, would you like to bring a field trip here and expose mm-hmm. everybody to what we're actually doing? Because most trade schools don't have the facilities of a full bore uh, manufacturing facility would have. So just that opportunity is such a way to to, I think, as you put it, to start getting people thinking about you before they got that certificate yeah. and before they go in on Indeed looking for a job, they already know where they might want to work. Exactly. And one other super easy thing uh, I had one of my clients do, they were a spring manufacturer. And if you think about springs, springs are literally in everything from your pen to an aircraft carrier. Mm. But what they would do is they would take a component one spring and they would make a poster of it and put it on the wall in the shop and say, this is where this component is going. So the people on the line, they're not making springs. It's like they're making pieces for life-saving components. They're making pieces for, you know, naval vessels, whatever it is. But you're showing people the part that they are playing in something bigger, not just that one teeny tiny piece of the puzzle, but you know their role in something much bigger than they are. So that was something anybody listening to today can start to say, you know what, if I just start to show my people um, how their work is impacting the bigger picture, like I said, part of the week, You know, that's something that's super easy. And again, people will start to look for that. You do it at the beginning. They're going to be like, ah, whatever, you know, oh, one more management thing. They're going to try to, you know, get us to work harder. (laughs) But as they see how cool it is, then they're going to be looking for, oh, I wonder what's going to be the part of the week this week. So that's a really simple thing. I love that idea. I think that's a wonderful idea because it gets, you know, the old, uh, the old uh, adage about, uh, you know, one person, what do, what do you do? He says, you know, I lay bricks. The other one says, I'm building a cathedral, right? So it's exactly. Like, it's, yep. That is that thought. And it gives meaning to something that could be candidly mundane. If you're doing 8 million springs, you know, a week, it's like, exactly. It's yep. a lot of springs. Mm-hmm. Wow. Lisa, this has been fantastic. I'm so glad you stopped by to talk with us. Uh, this is a really, uh, I, I love your energy and I love, the, the the topic is such an important topic because makers need people to make things and we need makers to be making things. I mean, that's just the reality and uh, very powerful. Uh, I think some, some real powerful tips here. So if somebody listening to this said, gee, that Lisa is really sharp. I'd like to know more about her. Where should they go to, to learn more about you, your work, how to get in touch with you? Um, sure. Go to my website, which is lisaryanspeaks.com. I am also very active on LinkedIn. So if you do a search on Lisa Ryan and Gratigy, G-R-A-T-E-G-Y, which is the name of my company, because there's about a you know billion Lisa Ryans on LinkedIn. Yeah, but I post pretty regularly there as far as video tips and articles and things like that. So that would be another really good resource to connect with me. And please write a note on LinkedIn that you heard me on the show. So that way I know that 
that it's not, I'm not going to get the first contact sales pitch and (laughs) I'll trust the connection. (laughs) All right. Fantastic. Lisa Ryan, thanks again for stopping by Business Growth on Purpose. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.